Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 6, 2017. Today in the water cooler, we'll be talking about seeing John Williams in concert and much, much more. In the news, we'll be talking about casting changes and the Han Solo spinoff. We'll also be talking about if there is going to be any more Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, will Shia LaBeouf return for Indiana Jones 5? Uh, is there a LGBTQ character in Star Wars Last Jedi? And the first buzz from the first screenings of Darren Aronofsky's mother. I'm Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's show are Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Brad Oman. Hello. And Y Tran Bowie. Hey, what's up? <laughs> that was uh, bad. <laughs> it was. Um, so we're recording this on Tuesday after the long Labor Day weekend. So at the water cooler here, we have actually a lot to talk about. Um, you know, I'll start this off. I got to see John Williams in concert at the Hollywood Bowl, which should be this amazing thing. But it's if you live in L.A., it's almost a yearly event. Um, and I, I've gone the last few years. Uh, so I've been lucky to see John Williams in concert uh, many times at this point. Um, and it's 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 always a uh, pleasure. It's always a, a, a great night. Uh, it, we've been having this heat wave in L.A. And luckily, the day I went was the day when uh, the clouds came in. So it, 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 it was nice. He played uh, three songs from from uh, Force Awakens. He played no music from Last Jedi, before you ask. And um, he played the three songs from Harry Potter. He played a bunch of stuff. Uh, you could probably check out the set list online. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, I also wanted to, to mention I finally got my movie pass um, after ordering it weeks ago when they announced that, uh, what is it, nine ninety nine membership. Um, and I went to see Good Time, uh, the film starring Robert Patterson. Um, have any of you seen this film? I have seen it. I quite like it. Yeah, it, it's it's very good. Um, I'm not sure I uh, I like uh, uh, our Pat's uh, facial hair in this film, but uh, <laughs> or the, the the music. The music is very uh, in your face. 
I would say. That's my favorite part of the movie. I love the music. See, as it's, uh, as its own, I love the music, but I feel like it was taking over some of the scenes. This movie is about um, Arpat plays a, uh, a guy who robs a bank with his brother who has, uh, what do you say, mental... Uh, He's mentally handicapped. Mentally handicapped, yeah. And... Um, it doesn't go as planned, and it basically takes place over, I think, almost like a 24-hour period. I love films that do that. Uh, if, if you're looking for a film to watch that isn't, you know, a big summer blockbuster, I, I would recommend this film. And lastly, for me, uh, over the weekend, I made my girlfriend, Kitra, watch Penn & Teller get killed. And um, th- this is the latest in the line of me making her watch bad movies. But uh, th- this movie, uh, I think you can rent it for two ninety nine on iTunes. I saw it many years ago, and it's uh, basically Penn and Teller play themselves. And Penn says on a talk show that he wish that someone was trying to kill him because that would make his life exciting. And basically, someone comes out trying to kill him, and it it it's this big adventure with Penn and Teller. I think it's shot in uh, in a three by four aspect ratio, which is hard to watch on a widescreen TV nowadays. Um, I really like this film. I think it has like it's like ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. So, <laughs> so it's not something I can highly recommend to you. But if you like magic, if you like Penn and Teller, you might enjoy this film. It's also from nineteen eighty nine, so the music is very eighties, and it's a, it, it's a lot of fun. HT, what did you do over the weekend? So I decided to spend my Labor Day, my free day, to see Tulip Fever, which is a decision I do not regret for the most part, uh, despite some of the polarizing reviews for it (laughs) i agree with the most of those reviews it's a strange and kind of ridiculous movie um it stars uh alicia vikander dane dehan uh christoph waltz uh curiously matthew morrison and uh, zach galifianakis and it was a movie that was infamously in development hell or rather it was made back in like five years ago and then it was not able to be released until now so it was definitely you could tell that it was a product of its time, hence Matthew Morrison being cast, which was very strange to me. But yeah, I didn't know what to make of this film. It's kind of over the top and ridiculous. And uh, it's essentially three movies in one. So it was, I couldn't tell whether it wanted to be a like trashy bodice ripper or a Shakespearean style comedy or a movie about the economics of tulip selling or like a very historical drama-esque prestige film but it was all three of these and also none of them at the same time (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah it was um definitely felt like the most it had like the most misguided lesson i'm saying that in air quotes uh at the end of the film since like collateral beauty it was a very strange film i felt like it was definitely um, changed and rehashed long after it was finished filming. And uh, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Despite, you know, it not being a good film, uh, Christoph Waltz is great and the only good character in this film. And despite being a Dane DeHaan stan, I can't say, I don't know if there's DeHaan or DeHaan, but... um, I think it's DeHaan. Yeah, DeHaan, okay. He is a... 
he's kind of laughably ridiculous in this film too. Like whenever he was supposed to be the erotic uh, seducer, I just I couldn't help but guffaw as well. It was <laughs> def- definitely a lot of miscasting and misguided script writing in this film. It was just yeah, Tulip Fever was an experience. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's known to get his hands dirty and uh, rework films, and this film might be one of the last gaffes from the Weinstein Company. I hope not, mm. but um, let's see. Uh, Jacob, you've been t- talking with us over the last few weeks about getting your laminator, getting ready for this uh, RPG session, session that you've been excited to do. You finally got to do it over the weekend, right? I did. Uh, the game I broke out was Blades in the Dark by John Harper. And it's an industrial fantasy setting. So kind of imagine a thousand years after Lord of the Rings, what does the fantasy world look like when they're having an industrial revolution? That's, that's, that's the world. And it's really cool and full of enough open gaps that you can invent a lot of your own mythology and rules. But the reason why I want to talk about it real uh, briefly, and the reason why I think I'll write about it for the site at some point, is that John Harper, the writer, frequently mentions throughout the book movie references, TV references, and ways to get people to kind of get get on the same vibe as the game and understand how an RPG session works by using TV and movie examples. He even recommends structuring your campaigns like TV seasons, uh, where everybody plays 10 to 20 sessions telling one kind of story that reaches a climax, take a break, then come back a couple months later and play another session another campaign web kind of builds so i even i took this to heart and for the first game with my friends a group of people who are rpg veterans and some newcomers i literally said this is episode one this is our pilot i played our theme song i had music going i told them to envision, envision opening credits as i described the city and i pretty much left it on a cliffhanger so that so that episode two comes up we'll be able to continue off of it and everybody seemed to have a really good time, and they all seemed excited to come back. And since this is our pilot episode, people are making tweaks to the characters and saying, oh, I'm changing my backstory a little bit. Is that okay? And I'm saying, yeah, of course. <laughs> and the reason why I would recommend this game to somebody who likes RPGs and likes TV or movies is that it's a game about being criminals in this fantasy city. But the mechanics are so cool in how they simulate a heist gone wrong or gone right story. Because when you, you only use six-sided die, and when you roll a six, you get exactly what you want. When you roll a, a one through a three, you don't get what you want. But when you roll a four or a five, you get what you want, but something goes wrong. So there's always a one-third chance that you can get what you want, but it'll create another problem. So no matter what you're doing, you're always one thing leads to another. A thing snowball and get out of control. And it just simulates the idea of a Reservoir Dogs-esque, things get out of control, what do we do next? But at the same time, there's another mechanic where... You can trigger a flashback and say, oh, here's a, I'm at, I'm at a safe door um, that I can't open. Well, I'm going to spend some points to trigger a flashback showing how I, as a badass a week ago, found the safe plans through another job. And the idea being like, you do an Ocean's Eleven style, here's how cool I am because I was prepared for this <laughs> from the very beginning, even though you're improvising it. So it really allows you to really play Ocean's Eleven heist gone right as well as Reservoir Dogs heist gone wrong stories at the same time. It's so much fun. That sounds like fun. Uh, Brad, what were you up to over the weekend? Uh, so I went to a wedding in Chicago for a friend of mine. Um, and the next morning after, since I stayed in the city after the reception, I hit up a brunch spot called Whisk, which is Ron Swanson themed. 
the character that Nick Offerman played from Parks and Recreation. There are so many different paintings and drawings of Ron Swanson all over the place. And because Ron Swanson loves breakfast and so much, famously saying uh, at a diner, bring me all your bacon and eggs. Um, it's just a really cool uh, little spot in the Ukrainian village in Chicago. They have incredible food. I got these pa- uh, Reese's peanut butter cup pancakes um, where they have uh, little Reese's peanut butter cups um, cooked into the pancakes. And there's this white chocolate drizzle and bananas that went on top of them. Um, it was just a uh, wonderful food and it's just a cool little, uh, spot in the middle of Chicago that pays tribute to, a, a character, um, played by a guy who is actually from Illinois. So that's pretty cool. That is so odd. Do, do we know if Nick Offerman has visited this joint? I don't know if he has or not. Um, I, I haven't followed up on that or anything like that. I would say there's a good chance that maybe he has since he's from, <laughs> he comes, comes and frequents Chicago for, uh, a decent amount, so it's certainly possible. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird idea. Okay, let's jump into the news because a lot has happened since we last recorded, which was uh, on Friday. Um, so uh, on Friday afternoon, some news hit uh, Twitter because Ron Howard posted a photo of, of uh, Paul Bettany on the set of the Han Solo spinoff film, and we found out and reported that he has joined the film. Jacob, what do we know? Well, what we know originally out of context was that Paul Bettany was on the set of Han Solo. So we reached out to our sources and discovered that, yes, he's been cast in the movie. And what we learned was that he has been specifically cast as a character Michael K. Williams was going to play. But then, as we would report earlier, was removed from the movie because Michael K. Williams could not uh, attend the reshoots due to a very packed schedule. So essentially, Paul Bettany is stepping in to serve the same purpose. And this is where things get a little murky because Deadline reported that they're not the same character, which is, let's just say, I mean that, that that's par- technicality. Yeah, because Michael K. Williams was playing half human, half uh, animal, alien, and Paul Bettany is playing a human just because of they don't have the time to do the visual effects. So it is kind of a different character, but. Yeah, even even if they even if they change the name, and according to our source, the name is still the name of the character is still the same. He's serving the same purpose. We don't know what that purpose is. I speculated on this based purely on the photo. Paul Bettany's wearing this sort of high collar white shirt with a with what looks like a black cloak or a black robe. Look, looks like the kind of thing you'd see for like a scummy fence in a crime story, or like maybe uh, a gambler type criminal. So somebody who maybe uh, gets jobs for Han Solo, or somebody who Han Solo pisses off. Uh, we, we don't know exactly for sure who this character is, but he serves the same purpose as Michael K. Williams' character. Even if the name changes, even if he's human instead of alien, he is more or less replacing him. And there's a bigger conversation we have. I, I know I said this on Twitter. A lot of people said, oh my god, is, is this whitewashing if Michael K. Williams was playing an alien character who now being played by a white human? So that's a question I don't want to get into right now, but that's definitely the weird world we're in right now where we can have that conversation. I I know we have a lot of conversations about whitewashing and on the site. uh, But I I think in this instance, you got to think like, you know, this seems like a last minute thing. They had to make a change last minute. Um, I'm not saying that (laughs) maybe I am making excuses for them, but uh, Paul Bettany is someone that Howard has worked with before. And I, I think he probably wanted someone he was comfortable with to come in and, uh, you know, join the cast is what my argument would be. But 
Yeah, and like I said, I, I'm always excited at that idea of seeing Michael K. Williams in a Star Wars movie. I love Michael K. Williams. That would have been great. And if this was a case where they had fired him and replaced him with Paul Bettany, I'd be a little more ups- upset. But it's, it's, it was purely a scheduling thing. Michael K. Williams could not logistically make it back to the set. So it's, I don't know where that leaves things. We'll see. But uh, it's really hard for me to get too angry. But also, I'm a white guy, so who, who knows? So. And uh, by the way, we're, we're approaching The Last Jedi. We're 100 days away. And I'm sorry, guys, but we're going to have a lot of Star Wars news on here. So if you don't like that, don't listen. But uh, we'll get to more Star Wars news in a little bit. But before we get to Star Wars news, let's get to Pirates of the Caribbean. Is the franchise dead? Brad, what do we know? Uh, first of all, the answer is yes, definitively. Um, <laughs> that's, just my, that's just from my perspective because of how uh, boring that I found the last movie to be. But according to Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, he's all upbeat and positive about the reception that Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales received this year. Um, he recently was interviewed by Yahoo Movies, and he was asked about whether or not the franchise would continue. And before he got to an answer, he felt the need to basically defend the performance of Dead Men Tell No Tales this year. Um, it, it, it's not as if the movie bombed, but the problem is, is that it performed nearly $70 million under the previous sequel at the domestic box office. And that fourth sequel on Stranger Tides was already $68 million behind the previous sequel. So the interest in Pirates of the Caribbean has clearly been waning as the quality of the movies has consistently been going down. Um, even this past movie, Dead Men Tell No Tales, had 30% in Rotten Tomatoes, also had a 4.7 rating from critics, which means it was a little better received than the tomato score would, would indicate but it's clearly not doing anywhere near as well as the earlier movies in the franchise have done. But although uh, you should mention, even though it did really poorly domestically, it did, it made two seven hundred ninety three million dollars worldwide, which I yes. know for a pirates movie is not good, but for any movie that's, that's a good good number. That's true. That is true, but that's also two hundred fifty million less than On Stranger Tides made yeah. in the worldwide box office. So it's still going down. And Bruckheimer attributes part of this to the fact that the American dollar is doing pretty well right now, whereas foreign currency isn't standing as strongly against it. So the conversion rate when those box office dollars are taken into account are not uh, translating to as big of a box office number as they did when the previous movies came out. Uh, That sounds a lot like an excuse to me because even then that's a very huge box office gap uh, between the last sequel and the new one. But anyway, uh, his answer as far as whether the franchise will continue is comes down to the fact that uh, they have to see if it's successful on DVD like the other ones have been. And then after they see those numbers, they'll sit down and figure out if it's something they want to continue. And as of now, we know that they hoped that at least we continue because there was a post credit scene after Dead Men Tell No Tales, which made little to no sense in the grand scheme of everything that had happened in the previous movies <laughs> and considering the events of the story in this fifth movie. So who knows what will happen? I personally hope the franchise is dead. I, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I'm over Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm over Jack Sparrow. I just move, move on. I, I think he's just trying to keep hope alive that this franchise will continue because I'm not sure if you know to, noticed this, but after the opening weekend of this film, Disney put in all the advertising on the Facebook and everything that this is the, uh, I think, see the final installment or see how the story ends or something like that. Um, 
So I think Disney knows that this is the end of the franchise. Maybe uh, Bruckheimer doesn't. Uh, maybe they'll reboot it in some way. Uh, but let's move on from that franchise to another franchise. Indiana Jones 5, uh, we know, is coming out in 2020, or they've announced at least. It hasn't been in production yet. Uh, and now we've we've learned that Shia LaBeouf's Mutt uh, will not... Williams. Mutt Williams, yeah. Will not be in the film. HD, you wrote the story for Slash Home. What do we know? So the screenwriter for Indiana Jones 5, which is still untitled, um, David Cope, has confirmed that Harrison Ford will uh, reprise his role as Indiana Jones in the fifth movie, but Shia LaBeouf's character will not return. Uh, So Shia LaBeouf's character, Mutt Williams, also known as Henry Jones III, uh, was uh, Indiana's son. by Marion Ravenwood, uh, his secret son. And he was kind of set up in Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to be the successor uh, to Indiana and um, wield the whip, so to speak. But there were a lot of hints in that film that he would be the heir apparent to Indiana Jones and would basically continue the franchise on. So Disney could keep making money off of it. But um, such as in the film, they had uh, Indiana's hat fly off and land in front of uh, Mutt. And uh, before he could pick it up, uh, Harrison Ford sweeps it back, swoops it back up and put it back on his head. <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of hints like that, that we would see um, Shia LaBeouf take on the role of um, not Indiana Jones per se, but like the lead role in the Indiana Jones franchise, whatever it would be named afterwards, because Harrison Ford is... Um, aging, unfortunately. He is currently 75 years old and will only continue to get older as uh, the series wears on. Um, So he is confirmed, though, for the fifth movie, and um, it will likely be Steven Spielberg's next film, or as David Cope um, hopes, um, as he says in his interview. And, uh, yeah, we don't know much about that other than there will be a an item, a magic item that the characters will be uh, hunting in the through the course of the film, uh, and uh, as you said, the um, release date is slated for July tenth, twenty twenty. Although we don't know yet if that is the final release date because it is not in production. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, hey, HT, um, are you saying there's a magical artifact that everybody's looking for in Indiana Jones Five? I mean, that's, that's very surprising news. <laughs> it's the most surprising news. Well, the question Something is what never done before. The question is, what is the artifact going to be? I hope, you know, I, I was always uh, kind of a fan of the whole Atlantis thing from the video game. Um, I don't know. I, I just hope it's not aliens. <laughs> I hope it, I hope it has <laughs> yeah, something that's rooted in uh, maybe religion or, you know, ancient uh, or believed ancient history. Uh, I don't know. Um, moving on. Laura Dern Star Wars The Last Jedi character might have uh might be the first LGBTQ character on screen in the Star Wars galaxy. Jacob, you wrote this article for Slash Home. What do we know? I guess to be specific, um, before people start commenting, there actually is a lesbian character in the Star Wars novels who is yet to appear in any of the movies. So this is not the first uh LGBTQ Star Wars character overall, but it's the first one who actually has a presence in the movies. And we know this because Claudia Gray's new novel, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, came out. And there's a exchange between a young Leia and a young Emmeline Holdo, the character played by Laura Dern in Last Jedi, where 
Leia uh, spokes about speaks about uh, it's just humanoid males for me, and then Emlyn responds, "Really? That feels so limiting." Uh, the suggestion being that Emlyn Holdo is not going to uh, stick to just people of her own uh, of op- of the opposite gender and maybe even her own species. And if you want to get specific, some sites have been reporting this as uh, a bisexual character. It's actually uh, it would be pansexual or omnisexual. Uh, because, like I said, as I joke about in the article, I would love to have an entire subplot about Laura Dern dating a sentient shade of the color of blue. <laughs> um, but my whole thing, I'm, I've, I've, I've had dual opinions on this. As readers may know, I, um, I am bisexual, and I came out because of movies and because when they revealed that the new Sulu was gay, I said, screw it. If Sulu's gay, I'm bi. And that made me really happy. And I've been happier ever since then. So representation, uh, as much as as certain commenters like to say it doesn't matter, it really does. I have to speak to this personally. So I'm very, very happy that there's a character in the Star Wars universe who who is not another straight person. And that makes me, and that just, same reason why I love Atomic Blonde earlier this year. A character who is queer, uh, going around kicking ass and not being just another straight white person makes me extremely happy and uh, makes me feel more welcome in society but atomic, anyway atomic bond was overt about it uh oh yeah, do you think overt. this is going to be anything that we even see in the film oh no no, not at all not not in the slightest i think this is a uh thing that'll be played out maybe in the books played out in the niche sides of things maybe in a comic book uh, i can speak from experience that gays love laura dern this feels very much like fan service to gay star wars fans or lgbtq star wars fans but this will not even be a thing when we mention the movie at all and this continues the trend we've seen in very recently, where movies like Beauty and the Beast and Power Rangers like to tout um, that, oh, we are we are friendly to, to the community. We have characters who represent you. Look at us. And you see actual movie. And the movies are so terrified of being gay in any way whatsoever. That's, it's, it's the tiniest. It's usually like one line yeah. or joke. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just a little, bit, a little bit of bullshit, excuse me, but it is. And uh, so, so it's frustrating because I feel like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They want they want to say we support you, but they also want to say, yeah, but Middle America. <sighs> so that's how, I have very complex feelings, as as you can see. I would love there to be more queer Star Wars characters. I would love them to actually be present on screen. I don't think Disney has the nerve to actually go forward with it beyond a book that only fans will read. Hmm. So if we saw Laura Dern's character with an an alien woman character on screen, would that be LGBTQ because it's an alien? Would, would would people even accept that because we don't know that with the alien species? I know I'm getting into the ridiculous sphere <laughs> of Star Wars conversations, but would that be a step forward? I'd say I would like to say so. The problem with me is that despite being a member of the community, I'm about two steps behind what's appropriate at all times. I'm always catching up and apologizing to all of my <laughs> friends who inform me that I'm saying the wrong things because I'm I, because I, I, I'm always not as hooked LinkedIn as I wish I was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would like to say like if if you ever met Emlyn Holdo in a Star Wars movie, making out in a bar um, or hanging out in a bar with a hand on a leg. Of some of an of an alien woman, I'd say you know what that's that's a good start. Yeah. Uh, she's not a lead character by any means. It's not, it's not like 
you know, there's a reason why fans shipped Poe Dameron and Finn so much. It's because we want to see our lead characters, our, our heroes, be, be represent us. And I don't know. On, on Twitter, I saw so many people happy to own Rose action figures over the weekend because it's like finally an Asian lead in a Star Wars movie. And I feel like I had to feel the same way. I'd go out and buy whatever action figure they put if, if they were gay or bi or trans. I, I'd do it instantly. Yeah. I mean, at the John Williams concert, there was this couple behind us holding up their kid in uh, the little girl in, in a Ray costume. And like, you know, that's representation right there. Um, anyways, moving on. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi will not answer any of our questions about Supreme Leader Snoke. Brad, what do we know? Uh, well, I'm sure it'll answer some questions about Supreme Leader Snoke, but we need to keep our expectations in check because it won't be giving us all the information we've been dying to know about the mysterious First Order leader who was introduced in The Force Awakens. Um, as we know, the character is played by Andy Serkis by way of motion capture performance. He only appeared as a huge hologram in Star Wars The Force Awakens, speaking to both Kylo Ren and General Hux. Beyond that, all we know is that Snoke was the one who recruited Kylo Ren uh, to the dark side, to the First Order, and Han Solo believed that he was only using Kylo Ren because of his power, likely because of the bloodline that runs through his veins comes from the Skywalker family, since he is uh, Leia Organa's offspring. So, everyone's wondering who Snoke is, uh, what he is, what he's doing. And all this jazz. But Ryan Johnson is playing things pretty close to the vest when it comes to revealing any details about him. And even when we see The Last Jedi, it sounds like we're not going to find out much more. Because he's treating Snoke very similar to how the Emperor was used in the original trilogy. Because while we know a lot more about the Emperor now, thanks to the prequels and his history with uh, the Republic and government as a senator turned chancellor who abuses power... When the Emperor was introduced in The Empire Strikes Back, all he was was a holographic floating head who gave orders to Darth Vader uh, to capture Luke Skywalker so that they could turn him to the dark side. That was it. He was just a mysterious figure behind the villain that we were already so terrified of. And Ryan Johnson says that he wants Snoke to be this dark force. Uh, he's not interested in explaining where he comes from or telling his story necessarily except where it helps serve the story that he's trying to tell in this movie. So don't expect to get, you know, flashbacks revealing who Snoke is and how all this happened. We're just going, we'll, we'll get little tidbits of who, who this character is as long as it's something that is an, important to the story that is unfolding in The Last Jedi. It, it's interesting because so many Star Wars fans have Snoke theories. You know, I have a t-shirt that says your Snoke theory sucks. And I've had my own Snoke theories. And it, it definitely shows that Star Wars fans are interested to find out where this guy came from. But I think there is a lesson to be learned from the prequels and what you said with, with the Emperor. Like, maybe that backstory isn't interesting. <laughs> you know, maybe it could be, uh, you know... Just like the Joker origin story, could could make that mysterious take away the mystery and make that character less interesting. Um, but I I I hope that this trilogy at some point kind of gives us some idea of where he came from because it kind of came out of nowhere um, in the middle of the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, you know, we didn't see him in Jedi and or any of the books. Uh, so yeah, um, let's move on from Star Wars to the film festival scene. Darren Aronofsky's mother 
has hit uh, at the film festivals. Uh, HT, you did a roundup of all the early buzz. How, what what do we know about the movie? How how is it? So critics are summarizing this film in the in in basically WTF, which <laughs> is <laughs> they they're calling this a sensory and mental assault um, on of a film, and uh, it's definitely something that has uh, gotten a very visceral. Uh, response to it. So um, Mother is about a couple played by Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem who live in this remote house and suddenly find themselves hosting two suspicious strangers played by Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, And we don't know any more than that. In even reading the reviews, there's not much that can be um, described the plot, except that the third act is when all of it gets unleashed and it becomes a trippy, mind-boggling um, mess, not mess of a film, but in un- unleashed film. So a uh, head trip of a film, that's what I wanted to say. Um, so most of the reviews, despite the reviewers saying that this will be a very uh, polarizing film, are actually quite positive, um, which I guess goes back to what you were saying, Peter, about film festivals being kind of this bubble of uh, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I mean, confirmation. Yes. yes. So uh, a lot of the reviewers, despite you know having this very um, baffled and perplexed response to the film, have a lot of good things to say about it, despite uh, the sensory attack and also the uh, insane third act of the film. Uh, they praise Jennifer Lawrence especially for her p- performance. Some, some people are, were um, raising the possibility of her getting an Oscar nomination. Um, but basically, this film sounds crazy. Uh, there's a, some really colorful language when I was reading the, re- the reviews for this film. People called it, the Telegraph called it, um, a surrealist, symphonically berserk feast of filth uh, <laughs> is one one of the reviews. Uh, what else? Um, e, uh, the Daily Beast called it the most WTF movie of the year. Uh, the playlist uh, just uh, disintegrated into onoma- onomatopoeia and just um, ended the review with exclamation points. Uh, so <laughs> it sounds like definitely an experience uh, for, to watch and something that you need to prepare yourself for. Although, uh, it being directed by Darren Aronofsky, I feel like this is not surprising to have his film be so uh, disturbing and so um, aggressive because uh, he's known for films like Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream. Um, and apparently, uh, according to reviews, it's going to o- overcome all of those as his most disturbing and uh, mad film. So, hmm. mother, look forward to it. Well, I'm a huge Darren Aronofsky fan. He's one of my favorite directors. I, I love Requiem for a Dream. And actually, I think on Slash Answers, I put the ending of Requiem as being the most disturbing moment in film history, according to me. So if if he can top himself, um, I don't know. That would be, that would be tough. <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very tough. Uh, I'm excited to see it. Are you guys excited to see Mother? I am very much, this is the first movie in literally a decade I've watched no trailers, no clips for. I've seen a poster, and that's it. I know nothing about it other than what HT just said. 
So I'm actually excited to see it, despite my aversion for horror films. I really enjoyed Black Swan, which also traumatized me, even though um, I have not gone so far as to see Requiem for a Dream. Uh, But I am a fan of what I saw of Aronofsky with Black Swan, and I will watch this film. Despite my, (laughs) I will I will see it. I will probably watch it behind um, closed fingers. We'll see. I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see what Darren Aronofsky has to offer. He always brings some stunning visuals to the table. Uh, He has this approach to storytelling that is very unique. He tells some very twisted tales. Uh, I I just think that a horror movie in his hands uh, that is even more of a straight up horror movie than Black Swan. Uh, was is something that people should be interested in. I, I imagine it'll be the kind of movie that probably disappoints some general audiences who are looking for your standard, straightforward thriller. Uh, but you know, yeah, that's, I, I, that's... I can imagine general audiences that are going to see a uh, Jennifer Lawrence horror movie are going to be very disappointed. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get some backlash from general audiences for sure. But I'm I'm at least interested to see how it turns out. Um. Anyways, uh, we will have to see that later when it actually hits theaters wide. Uh, you can find more of my work at Slash Film on Twitter. You can find HT at HTranBooey on Twitter and the Millennial Falcon podcast. You can find Jacob Hall at Jacob S. Hall on Twitter. And you can find Brad Omen at Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter and uh, the Go Flix Yourself podcast on iTunes. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, help spread the word. Tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a review. Give us a rating. That really helps us out quite a bit. Um, and uh, this podcast is obviously published Monday through Friday. Uh, come back. See us tomorrow. We'll see you then. <laughs>